time, but it's Jesus my Lord will love me forever, not for the years of time alone, but for all eternity. Praise God. Well, to borrow a saying from Monty Python, now for something completely different, you can use Monty Python too. I want you to hear today's sermon, and I ask you to see today's sermon as a continual time of worship to our God. Um, I have, my uh, sermon text was um, revised after an elders meeting, and I have spent a lot of time since then dwelling in this, and I'm asking you to dwell and to live in it as we go through. I'm going to even ask you to sing in the middle. Don't worry, most of you should know the song. Our scripture today is from 1 Chronicles, not 2 Chronicles, as it, as it might say in the bulletin, 29. It's at the very end of King David's life, and he is proclaiming Solomon as king. He tasks him with the rebuilding or the building of the temple and commits finances to build it. This passage we're going to read is part of David's prayer. He thanks God for the provision of the resources needed, and then he does something rather interesting. He blesses God. What's interesting is that this, word, this passage is almost a direct word-for-word parallel, but with more, from the ending of the Lord's Prayer which we call the doxology at the, at the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to say right up front that I've picked up a lot from my friend, although I've never met him, John Piper. He defines blessing God, so let's start there. It means to recognize God's great riches, richness, strength, and gracious bounty and to express our gratitude and delight in seeing and experiencing it. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. This is not just the reading of God's Word, but it is in fact a prayer to our God. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand It is to make great and to give strength to all. And now, we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. You can interrupt me during this whole sermon with an amen or a preacher brother or go on or whatever you want to say. I hear it. Thanks, Mark. Mark told me he was going to do that. 
As I said, this sermon is intended to be one continuous doxology of praise and worship to our Father. At times during the sermon, I will be reading doxologies from Scripture. I'll give you a clue when they're coming because I'll raise my hand in blessing to God. And please use each one of these as your opportunity to bless God in worship. Mark continues to remind us in regular meetings that when we talk about music, we, we make it synonymous with worship. And while music is a portion of worship, it is not all. So during this time, I encourage you to engage in worship of our God. Matthew 6.13 in the King James Version includes what's known as the Lord's Prayer Doxology. The prayer's ending. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's the prayer's climax, and it closes it on a note of high praise and worship. So what does doxology mean? Well, doxology is a nearly untranslated Greek word, which in rough English means glory. That's dox and ology, which is literally speaking or saying or language. So I'm going to translate it as glory speaking. These words are often part of a formal liturgy, which is used in worship, usually giving God high praise. They are frequently in the Bible and in both Jewish and Christian worship. But there's a problem here. These words do not appear in most modern translations. If you're reading the NIV, the ESV, NASB, you're not going to see that. You're intending to see them mostly in the older translations. Uh, King James, most well-known of those, translated in 1611. But most modern translations do not end in the doxology. Why? Well, that's because in all the earliest manuscripts of the New Testament, which, by the way, were not available to the earliest, to the translators in 1611, these words were absent. So that's led modern translators to the somewhat inevitable conclusion that they were not the original words of Jesus. Devout Jews, and Jesus was certainly one, would have used doxology as a part of worship. These words weren't attributed to him by Matthew or Luke. This doxology came to use in the latter part of the first century as Christians began to use the Lord's Prayer and worship and a formal liturgy was arising. The first written version of it in any authority we have is in a book of Christian teaching called the Didache. I worked at that. It was written about the time Revelation was written in the latter half of the first century. So very early. In biblical times, prayer and significant statements are often ended or emphasized using a glory saying, a doxology, something worshipful after something particularly significant. So doxologies are very common in both the Old and New Testament. In David's prayer, these familiar words are uttered by David 
as he praises God for all that he's done so far. That was very early in David's prayer. He goes on to pray beyond that. But later in the New Testament, in Jude, at the end of this short book, nearly the end, he says, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. You'll notice that these are the same sentiments expressed in relation to God. Kingdom, power, and glory. It's very typical to find glory sayings in the Psalms. Psalm 115. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to silence. It is we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. Amen. And in the very end of the book in, of the Bible in Revelation, Revelations 5, in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Amen, Lord. Doxologies are also common in Christian worship throughout the ages. Some of them we apparently give names to, such as this one, Gloria in Excelsis, Excelsis Deo. That's a Latin translation, and obviously I have a problem with Excelsis. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. You should know that from Luke chapter 2. Here's one that's been in common use down through the centuries. I'll give you a personal connection for me. My father spoke at a Bible Presbyterian church in the 1980s. And they were a group of people whose median age was 89 and a half. And every, I'm not kidding. Uh, <laughs> and in every service, they sang Gloria Patri. And as a Baptist-raised kid, I was like, why do we sing this same song every day? Gloria Patri. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Then there is one that you're going to sing with me. It is completely a Protestant post-Reformation origin. Uh, you probably didn't think about this, but apparently written by Thomas Ken in 1674, a little over a hundred years after 1517, when Martin Luther had posted his theses, and we're going to sing this. Please stand. Praise God from whom all blessings flow, praise Him all creatures, here below, 
Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. You may be seated. Doxologies are a significant part of Christian worship. They focus our minds on the glory and the power of God. Clearly, this was one of the earliest Christian doxologies and is firmly anchored in Scripture, even if it wasn't uttered by our Lord. It was placed there to tie up the recitation of the Lord's Prayer, and rather than detracting from it, it has been designed to reinforce the purpose of the prayer, as it also brings it to its climax. My friends, this is very helpful for us as we close the series on the Lord's Prayer. It neatly draws and ties up the themes of the prayer. Jesus taught us this prayer because if we want prayer that builds our relationship with our Heavenly Father, then it should be characterized by these themes of kingdom, power, and glory as we pray with Him. I encourage you to read the beginning of Matthew 6 today because Jesus was railing against prayer and worship that is devoid of meaning, like the hypocrites or the pagans, which he notes in Matthew 6. Before we move on, I challenge you to remember his critique of that empty worship, that empty prayer. This doxology of praise of the Yah- of, to Yahweh, and remember every time David says, yours, O Lord, he is saying Yahweh, right? Um, I don't know how David said that in a way that he didn't transgress on the Jewish um, exclusion of saying the name of Yahweh out loud, but he did. That is expounded deeply in David's prayer, and again, I'm indebted to John Piper for many of these points. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness. God is great. He is expansive. He's larger than any reality in our universe, in this universe, this entire universe. What you ever see on earth, those little great things, and even those old human great things, God means for your mind and your heart to think about his magnitude and be more moved by him than the little echoes of his greatness that may move you in this life. I'm going to pause to talk about human event, late current events. This week, we've witnessed the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. And I'm not old enough to have seen this, but some of you might have heard it. We saw on TV, for the first time on TV, the actual proclamation of a monarch. There were trumpets and people in gold braid and big fancy red suits, and and they proclaimed King Charles III. And the Prime Minister of the UK noted that in a ceremony in a, uh, that has gone on for more than a thousand years, we transfer sovereignty. 
And I was in the middle of this, and I thought, yeah, you're nothing. Our God has reigned forever and ever. So when you use these, when you hear these little echoes of human greatness, they're echoes of what his true greatness is. And they are very small imitations. Although I will say, at least the monarchy of Great Britain claims to be based in God and, and, and founded by God alone. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power. God is powerful. All power belongs to God. He's not only big, unfathomably big, he's also strong. He's stronger than any atomic weapon or any natural force like a hurricane or ocean tides or floods or an exploding nebula. He's not only great in size, but he can move that greatness to accomplish his will. Our God is powerful. Amen. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory. God is glorious. The word implies beauty and splendor. In other words, his greatness and his power together are beautiful. So you see power and greatness in human terms becomes ugly. What's that saying? Absolute power corrupts, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Not our God. He is glorious. When we see God for who he is, our souls should respond with tremendous satisfaction because you and I were made to behold glory. We were made to exult in infinite beauty. God is the source of all and the essence of all that's great and powerful and beautiful. All glory to him. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory. Remember who wrote this or who said this. King David knew a little bit about victory. Victories were very important. I've just finished a podcast on the history of Rome and every Caesar had to have a victory. They, boy, they had to have one. So in that context, God is victorious. But again, Human victories are small in comparison to his victories. That word victory means endurance, lasting, persisting, and prevailing until all resistance is exhausted and our God alone will stand triumphant. God is always the victor. God cannot be defeated. He brought about the most complete victory that ever can be. Victory over sin, Satan, and death. Praise his name. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. God is majestic. That means that he has the marks of royalty. 
He has the marks of kingliness. When he rides by, you take off your hat or you salute. You stand in awe. You tremble with joy that you've been granted to see God and not die. Our God is majestic. Side note. Your Majesty King Charles, I'm sorry. No matter how good of a king he will or will not be, will never have the majesty of our God. Now we're going to switch. We've talked about things that he is. Now we're going to talk about what he has, what he owns. Yours, O Lord, is everything that is in the heavens and the earth. God owns all things. He owns the world. He owns everything in it. He owns your mind, your emotions, your will, and your very life. He gave it freely as a trust, and he may take it whenever he pleases and do you no wrong. Amen? We are not our own. We are bought with the price. Nothing, nor is anything we possess our own. God owns it all. We are only trustees of our life, our thought, and all our possessions. That one's a little bit sobering, isn't it? Yours is the dominion, O Lord. Dominion means sovereignty or control. I'm hoping that's not a new word for those of you in a CRC church. Um, In other words, God not only has the splendor of royalty, he has the authority of royalty. He actually rules as king over all the world. He owns all that is the heavens and the earth. He governs what he owns, everything. He has dominion. Ruling authority as king over all, and his kingly decrees always hold sway, and they do not change. Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. In Roman history, there was a title called Pontifex. Maximus, and it was the title of the supreme leader of the pagan religion. Later, the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church took that title, Pontifex Maximus. Again, they are, they are not head over all. God is the head over all things. He is the leader. He is the final authority. But it's not just that. This scripture says that he makes himself known as head over all. Notice, kings rule sometimes by divine authority, they claim. God is the king over all by his own authority. No one crowns him. No one blesses him and says, now you're the king, as we will observe at some time. No. He makes himself 
overall. He is not incidentally or accidentally overall. He chooses to be head overall. He exalts himself overall. His position in the universe is the position he chooses to keep. His reputation overall is something he wills to make known. Both riches and honor come from you. Not only does God own all things and rule all things and exalt himself as head over all things, he is also the source of all riches and honor that come to anyone, any man, woman, or child. David says, literally, all wealth, all comes from God. My friends, this is the invisible work of God in and under and behind everything we do, our work. You can't see it. You can believe in it and exult in it because you believe in God, not because you see it with your own physical eyes. This is the invisible reality at work in our lives, our church, and in the world. You rule over all. And in your hand is power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. This seems to be a repetition of previous themes, but it is not. The new part here is that all human greatness, all human strength are the work of God's hand. All great and good things have their source and sustenance in God. I spent some time listening to great works of music this past week. Whether they are Rachmaninoff's Rhapsody on the theme of Paganini or Handel's Hallelujah Chorus, they all find their source in God. All good, all praiseworthy things come from God. My friends, out of this prayer of David comes the closing of this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. There are five simple points, and I boiled them down to five words to help you with these and to help me. They are yours, kingdom, power, glory, and forever. Yours. This prayer starts and ends with the Father. In this series, we started by noting that Jesus teaches us that prayer is not focused on, on us, but it's focused on the Father. He is the one with the majesty and authority. He's the one who's holy. He's our Father. True prayer for us as God's people starts and ends with Him. And in the middle there, it serves His will and his purposes. When we truly recognize who he is and all that he deserves, we pray that our ways become more and more conformed to his. Kingdom. For yours is the kingdom. 
All prayer that is focused on God concerns what he wants, what his purposes are in this world and in our lives. God wants to extend his kingdom, to push it out. He wants to push it out to the farthest ends of the world and into every area of our lives. When I spoke on the kingdom, and I have the privilege to wrap up this series, talking about the kingdom in both ways, we saw that the kingdom is divine, God's kingdom, and that it's a revolution that starts from the inside out, not the other way around. Power. I hope I convinced you. I hope God's word convinced you that God is immensely powerful. When you worry about him being able to reach someone that you desperately want to come to the knowledge of him, remember, he has that power and he is able to change lives. He is a God that we can pray to. He can change us. We can't even change us. And he can change situations and concerns we bring to him in prayer. But, We also pray, your will be done. He is the God who gives us all we need, not what we want. The great thing about the power of Christ, and we heard this in this prayer, in this series, it's that he has the power to forgive us, but he also gives us the power to forgive. Think about that. He has the power. In fact, on this earth, he said, so that you might know that the Son of God has the power to forgive sins, I say, your sins are forgiven you. Now take up your bed and walk. He has the power to forgive sins, but he gives us the power to forgive. Glory. What do you think glorifies God the most? It is that we live lives honoring him, that we are holy, and that we forsake sin. I don't know about you, but I desire to keep my life holy. But I often equivocate and say, well, Lord, you know I'm, always, I'm only human. He calls us with his power to make us holy. And he is most glorified in us when we find our glory in him. Last of these five points, forever. I'm going to say that again, forever and ever. If the kingdom and the power and the glory are going to be his now and forevermore, And we need to reflect on the words of Jesus. And we need to come before him openly and honestly. We need to be honest because he nails the truth anyway. And we need to be, and to be holy, it has to be we who own the truth and admit it and ask for his Holy Spirit to shape us and change us. All with the ultimate goal we may draw closer and closer to our Father in heaven. 
forever also means that someday our praise, glory, and honor will come full circle. In Revelation 12, the victory of God over Satan, sin, and death is proclaimed. Here the real proclamation of the King of Kings. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accusers of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Amen. All praise and honor and glory be to our God. Please stand with me as we pray. And I want you to know my prayer is taken almost directly from the message of 1 Chronicles 29, these same verses. Because I want you to hear it again. And I want you to pray it to our God. Our Lord and God, founder and sustainer of the heavens and the earth and all that is in them, blessed are you, O God, our Father, from of old and forever. To you, O God, our Father, belong the greatness and the might and the glory, the victory, the majesty, and the splendor. We proclaim... God, we proclaim that everything in heaven, everything on earth, the entire kingdom is all yours. You have raised yourself high above all. You are the king of kings and the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Riches and glory come from you. You are ruler over all. You hold the strength and power in the palm of your hand to build up and strengthen all. And now here we are, O oh God our Father, giving thanks to you and praising your splendid name. May you glory in the praise of your people and inhabit our praise. For yours alone is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated.